What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians. We'll be continuing our our, uh, series through the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 5 tonight. Verses 1 through 21. Uh, While you're turning there, let me just remind you a little bit what we've talked about this semester as we've looked at the book of Ephesians. Looked at Ephesians chapter 1 where we've looked at God's plan for salvation. Chapter 2, we saw the specifics of how God's plan of salvation is worked out in the life of believers, where where we go from death to life. The end of chapter two, we saw that God all along had a plan to include not only the Jews in salvation, but also the Gentiles. And we see this, this theme and centrality of love in all things. Even as Paul is instructing the Jews and the Gentiles to really get along in the new, as the new people of God in the church, we see that love is to be central. And even as we looked at spiritual gifts that were given by Christ for the building up of the body, we see that love is central. And if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God, we we skipped ahead to chapter 4, and we looked at a little bit of application from chapter 4, because Paul says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And it gives us application after saying that. He lists all of the things that Gentile believers would need to repent from, maybe ideas, maybe concepts, maybe ways of walking in holiness that they weren't familiar with before. He gives this list of things that they ought to do. And really what we see here in chapter 5 is a continuation of that list. In chapter 4, Paul says, put off the old self, put on the new self. He says that the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so really, as we look at these verses from chapter five, really what we're going to be looking at is a continuation of an explanation of what this new self is. So let's read chapter five of Ephesians verses one through twenty one. It's a little bit long of a section, just hang with me, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as wise, but not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we look at your word, Father, would you help us to live lives of holiness? Would you call us to repentance? Would you call us to faithfulness? Would you help us In our weakness, Father, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what your word has to say? We ask and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I was thinking about this passage of scripture and I was really thinking about how to sum it all up, reminded me of a time when I was younger, when I was in elementary school. Uh, There was a family that lived down the street from me. And uh, I really loved playing with this family, hanging out with this family, jumping on their trampoline because this family had three boys and I was the only son in my family. So I got to go and hang out with them and I got to hang around other boys my age. One of the interesting things that happened as I spent so much time around these other boys is one of the boys, one of the younger sons, he had a very, very slight speech impediment. And as I began to hang around him, I actually started to think, man, I actually think it's kind of cool as, he, as how he says certain words. Even though they were wrong, I don't think as a child I really understood that they were wrong. I just thought they were kind of cool. So after a while, I would start to actually pronounce words wrong like he did. Sometimes instead of saying think, he would say think. I think that's really cool. And so I started saying it. Man, I think that's really cool. One day my mom noticed that I was, you know, speaking in ways that I had never spoken before. She kind of asked me like, John, what are you, what, why are you saying that like that? And I kind of realized, wow, why am I doing that? And I think it's interesting how subconsciously 
I was imitating something I thought was cool, even though it was technically wrong. And I think it's similar to the idea of what we see in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, our holiness comes from imitating Christ out of love. Because of the love that we have for Christ, our holiness comes from imitating Christ out of that love. If you're a note taker, the main idea I want you to walk away with tonight is that since God is love, we must walk in the love of holiness. Since God is love, we must walk in the love of holiness. And really, if we divide this uh, section of scripture up, we have two main things that are emphasized as related to walking in the love of holiness. We have the reasons and we have the practical ways. So first, let's take a look at the reasons we must walk in the love of holiness. I think the first reason that we see here is our identity. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. In chapter 4, verse 24, he would say, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so as Christians, as believers in Christ, we, we are actually new creations. We are actually children of God. That's the first reason that we are to walk in holiness. It's really because of who God has made us. We looked at it in chapter two. God's raised us from death to life, spiritual death to life. We are now new creations. And did you notice that Paul in chapter four, verse 24 says that we're, we're to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. If you'll remember back earlier this semester when we really looked at the gospel, we talked about how because of Adam's sin, he shattered the image of God that he was created in because he was created to reflect God and to represent him on the earth. And what we see here is that now that we have a new self, now that we're new creations, we're what? We're again created in the likeness of God. And this is linked to this idea of imitating God. Therefore, be imitators of God. And it really echoes what we see throughout Scripture. When the Scripture calls us to walk in holiness, it really gives this one reason. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. It's what the Lord says in Leviticus, be holy, for I am holy. The New Testament picks this up several times. Jesus reiterates this idea in the Sermon on the Mount. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 puts it this way. It's almost a mirror passage to this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And we see the same idea here. We are new creations 
We are children of God. We move on to verse 7. We see Paul says that, for at one time you were darkness, verse 8 rather, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So over and over and over, he's, he keeps referring us back to our identity. Who are we? We're, we're children of God. We are new creations. We are light. And this behavior that Paul goes into it really flows out of who we are. Behavior flows from identity, not the other way around. But we also see another motivation, another reason to walk in holiness. And the second reason is love. What does Paul say? Walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. And it's interesting because everything we see in the book of Ephesians over and over is rooted in love. Salvation, unity, even holiness. We don't often connect those two things, but that is rooted in love. Our love flows from the love that God has shown us. So we've got our identity We've got the love of God that's poured out in our hearts. The third reason for holiness that we see from the scriptures is our inheritance. What do we see in, in verse 5? For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so what Paul is saying here is that if you're a new creation, your behavior will flow. If you're really walking in the love of Christ, you'll live a certain way. And then he kind of points us to our future with God. And it's really a warning. Those who don't look like Christians or act like Christians, those who make a practice of willful, continual, unrepentant sin as a pattern of life, they shouldn't have any reason to believe that they will inherit the kingdom of God. To put it another way, if you're a child of God, you'll walk in holiness, which means you have this great inheritance. It's not that you walk in holiness in order to get the inheritance, but if you have been made a new creation, you will walk in holiness and Paul uses your inheritance as a, kind of, as a kind of warning. And this isn't really, Paul's not talking about sinless perfection here. He's not talking about someone who never sins. We see all throughout the scriptures that we're not called to never sin, or rather we're not described as being never sinning. We are called to never sin, but we're not described as never having sinned. But we're actually called repenters of sin. Those who recognize their sin, turn from it, and strive for holiness. We keep going. We see the fourth reason. It's really the flip side of the inheritance that Paul speaks of. And the opposite of this inheritance that's stored up for believers is actually the wrath of God. Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, because of these, this way of living, 
The wrath of God comes upon the sons of, of, of disobedience. And so not only do we have this inheritance as Christians that we look forward to, but Paul wants you to know, don't be deceived. There actually is punishment for sin. The fourth reason that we are to walk in holiness is to, is to remember that there is punishment for sin. The last reason that we see to walk in holiness from Ephesians chapter 5 is actually shame. Not really the way that you would often think of it. Not shame in like beating yourself up over past sins. But Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. And so the fifth reason that Paul shows us that we're to walk in holiness is actually because sin, by its very nature, is shameful. And, and this is natural, right? This is natural. When you sin, you naturally, immediately feel shame. Because the very nature of sin is shameful. And so for the Christian, we understand that Christ on the cross takes our shame. Ultimately, eternally, we do not have shame for our sin, but there is something shameful about sin. Paul says it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. Don't, don't take part in things that are shameful to even talk about. That's not how the Christian ought to live. So we've got five reasons. Before we even get into what holiness looks like, we've got Paul giving us five reasons to walk in holiness. First, we have our identity. We're new creations. We're children of God. We're children of light. We have the love that God has poured out in our hearts. We have an inheritance to look forward to. We have the warnings of the wrath of God and we have the warning against shame. Sin rightly understood. This kind of makes me think about the time that uh, I, I was turning around 15 or 16 and I, I remember that uh, I started to understand better than my parents uh, how money should be allocated to things like clothes and food and sneakers. Uh, as I reached that age and as I reached those thoughts, the only real option I had was to get a job. So naturally, as most teenagers do when they're faced with that decision, I got a job. Because of my desires, because of my motivations, I was charged into action. And Paul gives us as motivations for holiness here, he gives us five motivations that actually have massive implications for fighting our sin. Because what Paul knows about the Christian is that the Christian doesn't love their sin, but rather they need help, they need equipment to fight their sin. And so when you think about your sin, when you think about your walk in holiness, how does love motivate 
your holiness? Do you recognize sin as destructive and harmful to yourself and to others? You might be tempted to think that there's a sin that nobody would be affected by, but that's not true. All sin is destructive and harmful, either to you or to others. Does your love for God and your love for other people motivate you to holiness? Does your inheritance motivate you towards holiness? Where are you going? The hope of heaven is where we find true relief and satisfaction that sin can't provide. When we're tempted by sin, how does does your future inheritance motivate you towards holiness? How does knowing that the pleasures of God that are his right are at his right hand forevermore far outweigh the pleasures that anything in this world could give you? How does that motivate you? You know, the Proverbs say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How does thinking about the fact that there is a justice and a punishment for sin, how does thinking about that motivate you towards holiness? How does it keep you from the things that would stir up the justice of God? We all feel justice at times raise up within us when we see something wrong. It's it's natural to feel that. Would we let that keep us from sin? How does, how does our identity motivate us to be holy? How does thinking about who you are in Christ, how does thinking about the fact that these works of evil are described as darkness and you are a child of light, how does that motivate you to holiness? You're a light. You're a child of God. You're loved by God. Would you go back to detestable things. I think sometimes we downplay the role of shame when it comes to sin, but there are some things that you should never do just for the simple fact of how embarrassing it would be if it ever came out. Don't do things you wouldn't want broadcast to the public. Do you think about being ashamed of sin? Maybe, maybe you should think about an action being broadcast for all the world to see before you sin. This is one of the reasons that accountability is so helpful in the life of the believer. It exposes the darkness. It's a way of actually broadcasting your sin to another person just to get a little bit of the taste of what it feels like for people to know how you've sinned. That, that's actually given to us as a grace in the body of Christ as we help one another fight sin. It, it's a grace, brothers and sisters. It, it, it's not meant for you to get stuck in and, and mired down in, but there are things that we naturally don't do because of 
the ways that we would feel shame. Five reasons, five motivations for holiness. But what does Paul describe as holiness? Well, if we keep going, we see a practical list. Literally, do's and don'ts. <laughs> I know we talk about how we're Christians and we're not under the law and the walk with Christ is not a list of do's and don'ts. And really, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts, but there's some do's and don'ts. They're right here. <laughs> we see Paul says, don't. Be sexually immoral, be impure, be covetous. He rules out filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, and he calls these things unfruitful works of darkness. And remember, we are children of light. He actually, in these things, right along with sexual immorality, he says, don't be a foolish time waster. And he warns against the evil of drunkenness. But not only does he give us these things not to do, but he says as new creations, there are things you should be doing. And some of them are the direct opposite of what you shouldn't do. He says you should be giving thanks. He actually mentions thankfulness twice as opposites of sexual immorality and foolish talk and drunkenness. Giving thanks, thankfulness. Paul says this twice in verse 4 and verse 20. Give thanks, be thankful instead of walking in sin. He says discern what is pleasing. Instead of being a foolish time waster, discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Walk in wisdom. Learn how to be a wise person. Discern what the Lord would have you do in situations where it's not exactly spelled out. How could I please the Lord in this? Paul says one of the things we do is expose the darkness. He says be filled with the Holy Spirit instead of being filled and drunk with wine. And that this should be so you should be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you're overflowing with the singing of psalms and hymns and being thankful to God. Then he sums it all up saying that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And while this isn't an exhaustive list of the Christian life practical things that you should do, there's all sorts of things that aren't here but are, are elsewhere. We do see some just categories of things. Sexuality. How you, how you speak, how you use your tongue. How you use your time. Paul lists not wasting time and wisdom right along there with things that we normally think of when we think of sin. In, in, verse, in chapter 4, we see Paul lists lying and stealing and the counterpart to those are being hardworking and generous. These categories of things are what Paul wants these new Christians, these new creations, those struggling in their faith, those struggling to live in love and unity. 
He says, these things immediately, you need to put them off as your old self. He gets practical and he just lists them out. Stop doing these things. Start doing those things. When I think about just getting practical, I remember a time in college and in seminary when I had to just get practical. I'd like the idea of studying with a group of friends at a coffee shop or maybe in the student center, you know, traffic's buzzing, it's loud, it's fun. I'm just studying, getting so much done. That never happened. I would never get any studying done if I was around a bunch of people and if there was a lot of noise going on. What I learned about myself is that I had to be in the quietest place I could find. Eventually, I would find this corner in the basement of the library. It was so far away from anybody else. Nobody could bother me there. I couldn't be distracted. And that's what I had to do. When I had to crank out some work, when I had to really read 200 pages in one night, Some of you have been there. I had to find the quietest place possible. I I couldn't stick with just living in the world of ideals. I had to get practical. And this is what Paul is saying. Here's some practical things, some practical ways that you are to walk in holiness. There's actually specific things that we're to walk away from and walk towards. So when we think about this list, when we think about all these practical things that we are to do, let's just, let's just go a little bit deeper and how they might affect you as college students. You think about what Paul says about being sexually immoral, sexual purity. Listen, as college students, some of you are in relationships for the first time. Some of you are, you have a boyfriend, you have a boo, you have a girlfriend. Paul calls us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to walk in sexual purity. That means even in your relationships, there should be lines that you don't cross. And they should be talked about before you run into the temptation. You should have ways. You should have guardrails that would keep you out of sexual immorality. You should have friends who are willing to stay in the same room as you, be the third wheel, not let you be alone all the time. You should find practical ways to walk in holiness. Some of you guys are in here and it's not just guys, but it's guys and girls. I think sometimes we address modesty and we talk to girls. We dress pornography and we just talk to guys. But listen, brothers and sisters, Paul calls us to walk away from sensuality. That is tempting others towards sexual immorality. 
with provocative gestures or dress. Brothers and sisters, Paul calls us to flee from the sin of pornography. Sexual purity is a way that we love God and love others and imitate him, being holy. It's interesting, though, when Paul talks about sexual immorality and impurity, he actually then lists covetousness right next to it. And what is covetousness? It's desiring what is not yours. It's an, it's an overactive desire for something that does not belong to you. And it's not, it's not by accident that this is listed right next to sexual purity for what is sexual immorality but desiring that which the marriage covenant has not given you a right to. We see it connected to theft, to stealing, and really, honestly, we, we see this grand movement towards everything that's the opposite of contentment. What do all these things have to do in common with one another? Sexual immorality, covetousness. It's not being content in where the Lord has placed you and what situation and, and what phase of life he's placed you in. Desiring what does not belong to you. If we keep going, we, we, we think we see this category of speech, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. We understand that as we walk in holiness to the world, how you speak might not matter. How the words you use might not matter to the world, but for us, for those who are new creations, Filthiness, sexual jokes, being given over to profanity, wasting time through empty speculation. Those are all ways that we are called to, they're all things that we're called to walk away from as believers. And so the flip side of these things that Paul lists here is thanksgiving. And it's so interesting, I think, that all of these things are all connected because the answer and the antidote to covetousness and sexual immorality and theft is thankfulness and contentedness. Can you be covetous if you're thankful and content? Paul says that you should be filled with thanksgiving, giving thanks continually, singing spiritual songs and hymns. Keep going, we see Paul says, not only do we give thanks, but we're to be discerning. Every, every action is not spelled out. Every decision is not spelled out in Scripture. That's called legalism. If you meet somebody and they've got a rule for every single thing you do in your life, run. And they base it on the Bible, 
run. And so Paul calls us to have discernment discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. As you live as a Christian, as you read your Bible, as you discern what God has said, then it gives us the ability through the, through the work of the Spirit to know in situations that aren't spelled out what would be pleasing to the Lord. It's really connected to this idea of making good use of our time and making, making sure our speech is full of thankfulness and not crude joking. To make good use of your time and to, to watch your speech is Christian. It flows from a love of God and a love of neighbor. It flows from trying to be like our heavenly father as his children. And Paul also says that we're to expose instead of partake. So don't be sexually immoral. Don't be covetous. Don't be filthy in your speech. But instead, give thanks, have discernment, and expose instead of partake. And really the idea of exposing instead of partaking is really in all areas and in love, we actually should, especially in the church, confront sin. If you, if you see a brother stumbling, go to him. If you see yourself stumbling, get Help, find accountability. This life is not to, meant to be lived alone. Sometimes we think we should never be the judgmental one, but brothers and sisters in the house of God, we're all forgiven. We're just helping each other forward to glory. We are called to confront sin. Paul says, don't get drunk. Here's my deep dive application of that. Don't get drunk. And we talked about discernment. Here's, here's a little bit of wisdom from me. It's my opinion. You can cut it out. You can chunk it if you don't want to. But I would say, don't be at drinking parties where the purpose is getting drunk. Because that's just unwise. Paul calls us not to be drunk and not to participate in the debauchery. You don't need to be near it. It shouldn't be named among you. Could it be named among you even if you didn't participate? Especially if you're underage. You have no business being around alcohol if you are under the legal limit. Don't do it. Don't do it. Paul says, don't be drunk. Then he gives the flip side. He says, be filled with the spirit. What is controlling you? Will you be given over to passions and lusts and anger? Or will you be filled with the spirit? Thankful, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul then says that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How often do we think about this? He says expose sin, 
Then he says, submit to one another. And really just what that means is, again, you have the right, other people have the right to lovingly, gently confront your sin. You have a responsibility to lovingly confront others' sin. Talk to them. Help them toward Christ. Whenever we think about a list like this, do's and don'ts, walk in holiness, sometimes we're tempted to forget the gospel. Sometimes we're tempted to forget the grace and love that has been so described over and over in the book of Ephesians. We've been rescued. We've been pulled out of darkness. We've been made alive. We've been lavished with love and kindness in Christ. And it's because of these things we're to see, hey, time to walk like Christ. We're not doing it to earn God's favor. And if there's sins named here that you think to yourself, that's me. Brothers and sisters, that's all of us. We all fall short. Even as Christians, even striving to be like Christ, we fall short of what the Bible calls us to. So, so remember not only what we're called to, Remember not only to find some practical ways to actually do these things, but remember the gospel. Remember the love of God. Remember the grace of God that covers a multitude of sins. Listen, if it was up to our works to be accepted by God, we would never be accepted by God. It's because of the grace and kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ that when we think about our sin, he died for them. The wrath of God that Paul talks about here, that we're not to be deceived about. For the Christian, that wrath is poured out on Christ. And it's because of that love that we feel it's because of that love that we've experienced. That love that's been poured out in our hearts through faith that it overflows in a life of holiness. If you don't know that love tonight, I pray that you would know Christ, repent from your sin, and trust in him. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for showing us a vision of your holiness, God. Father, thank you for practically equipping each and every one of us to walk, to walk in the love that is holiness, Father. Father, I pray that even as we sing, even as we feel conviction, even as we repent, Father, that you would shower us with your grace and kindness, pour your spirit out on us, Father. That we would know the love that actually enables us 
to be like you. Father, we pray and we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.